Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend's message with you. You can find us on national.cc or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. That was Matthew 28, 18 through 20 in the message version of the Bible the way Eugene Peterson paraphrased the Great Commission. Go make disciples. Now, in order to contextualize disciple-making well in our unique generation and culture, we have to do some reverse engineering. We have to understand discipleship in its original, historical, and cultural context and within a robust theological and biblical framework. This is how we say it at NCC. A disciple of Jesus is one who studies the words of Jesus, imitates the ways of Jesus, and partners in the mission of Jesus. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, within the context of community, we learn to live our lives from Jesus and invite others to do the same. 2,000 years after this great commission, Jesus is still inviting his followers, us, to join with him in the mission to make disciples of all nations. Pastor Heather introduced the why and the what of being and making disciples, and now we focus on the how. Fortunately for us, God has gifted us with the life and teachings of Jesus. His example was to settle around the fishing villages of first century Galilee and gather 12 men around him. He did life with them. He pointed out the character and mission of God along the way. He said, follow me, do what I do, the way I do it. Learn to live your life from me. As we examine the discipleship practices of Jesus, his disciples and the early church, five anchors emerge. And these anchors give us a foundation or a framework to build a biblically grounded, Jesus-centered, missionally fruitful discipleship model that invites us to participate in God's work of restoration, renewal, redemption, reconciliation in our world. We believe the art of making and being disciples is creative and unique and personal. But it's these five anchors that ground us, they root us, they hold us in place. You are about to hear from five incredible leaders. Leaders who practice what they preach, especially when it comes to these five discipleship anchors. So number one, discipleship is fueled by the Holy Spirit. Two. Discipleship is rooted in relationship. Three, discipleship is matured by a process. 
Four, discipleship is marked by integration. And five, discipleship is measured by multiplication. So I was driving in Northern Virginia the other day and all of a sudden, I mean, it was a beautiful, clear day and I see this bird just floating in the sky. I was like completely mesmerized by it and I was like, I think I just need to Google this because I have no idea what he's doing. Well, I thought he was floating, but according to the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, the bird wasn't flowing, he only appeared to be doing so. What he was actually doing was riding on these rising columns of warm air called thermals. So basically the sun warms the surface, it heats the air and it causes it to rise. And then the birds use this rising air to gain elevation and they remain aloft for extended periods of time without having to flap their wings. Birds have figured out by riding on these thermals, they can glide requiring far less energy from their own wings. What would our lives look like if we were so deeply anchored in the Holy Spirit that he fuels us and propels us to gain greater heights than our own abilities could? to seek the Spirit first and live in partnership with Him as He fills us to overflowing. Now, there are a lot of things in today's world that need fuel to kind of operate at a maximum capacity. Take your car, for instance. I look for that light. When it hits E, I need to find a gas station to fill up. When my stomach is roaring, I need to find food quickly for some energy. Because renewing and refueling is cyclical. It's this ongoing cycle of growth as we learn how to be filled by the Spirit. And through that process, we become empowered. Joey Shaw, in his book, All Authority, says, could it be that the church today bears so little fruit proportional to our size, resources, and the energy put forward because we abide in Christ so little and access his power so rarely. It is jaw-dropping to consider the vast impact of the early church with regard to their incredibly small pool of resources. Where did the apostles get their spiritual power? Where did the early church get their momentum? It came from none other than the Holy Spirit being poured out on Pentecost. Because discipleship is fueled by the Holy Spirit, and it is this regular infilling of receiving from him daily to intentionally pour out and then be filled back up again. And he is an endless supplier. I have found that the best discipleship happens in the overflow of my time with the Spirit. He's not this distant cousin far off, but when we remain connected to the source, that's when we become empowered to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. And then it's ultimately forming this lifestyle where we're being fueled by the Holy Spirit and it's resulting in this partnership and then we're operating out of that overflow. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive 
power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And in the early church, it was that same power that the Holy Spirit, there were signs and wonders that were performed by the apostles. It was the Spirit that empowered the followers of Jesus to practice the one another's, to put aside their preferences in order to create a beloved community out of Jew and Gentile. We are empowered so that we can partner with him. He's moving, he's active, and what the Holy Spirit initiates, he permeates and sustains. We are to partner in the mission of Jesus, to be a part of the healing, the renewing, and the reconciling of the world. And in partnering with the Holy Spirit, there is a surrendering that happens, a release of control just like the birds with the thermals. They surrender to the leading of the wind and they trust the thermals. John 3, 8 says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the spirit. Surrendering requires this posture of submission to fully trust him even if it challenges me and stretches my paradigms, my patterns of thinking, because it is more about the move of God in community than it is about me. Genesis 2.7 says, God breathed the breath of life in Adam's nostrils, and he is active today, breathing fresh breath in us and on us. In Alpha, a course that we have here at NCC where it's just a safe space to wrestle with hard questions about life and about faith, we pray this ancient prayer, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Discipleship is a Holy Spirit-empowered process within the context of community as we learn to live our lives from Jesus and invite others to do the same. So what would it look like to ride on the thermals of the Holy Spirit, to be fully surrendered, anchored, empowered, partnering with him every day? Discipleship is rooted in relationship. And one of the ways that Jesus built those relationships were around a table. And so those who know me, they know that my favorite part of any Sunday is the after-service brunch, with the after-service nap as a close second. And it's not because of the food. Well, it's not. But, but oh, the chicken and waffles over at Barrel or the vanilla bean French toast at the Smith. My God, it's not about the food. It's about the fellowship. It's about the unintentional jokes made around the table, the personal stories that draw us into each other's lives. It's those thought-provoking questions. It's those theological and cultural debates. It's those debriefings and sometimes rebuttals of the sermons like we're hearing right now. You see, shout out to my Sunday brunch crew because they know there is something just powerful about the table. It sits us down. It slows us down. It equalizes us. 
And it postures us to listen. And it postures us to share openly, not only our stories, but our lives, our pains, our hopes, our dreams, our anxieties, our failures, and our victories. For me, this tradition and this love for brunch comes from a Williams family tradition, Saturday morning breakfast. Growing up, there's only one thing that could get me out of the bed, and it was the smell of bacon. You see, when I smelt bacon, it (laughs) means that my mom was about 10 minutes away from creating her masterpiece, finishing that masterpiece. Creamy grits, scrambled eggs, sage, sausage, turkey, bacon. See, y'all are hungry with me right now. But um, as breakfast was getting ready, the whole entire house would be drawn to the kitchen table. And as we got suited up with our plates and utensils, the real party began where we would just talk about anything and everything. However, I didn't recognize until later in life the relational intentionality that my parents were creating in those table moments. I didn't recognize that until I started creating those moments for me and my friends. Discipleship flourishes when we become intentional with how we show up to the table. With the right presence, walls of separation begin to crumble. Trust of bonds will just begin to strengthen. And my favorite, the mask that we wear, the mask that we all wear, we voluntarily take them off. This is why the words of Jesus just carried so much weight to his disciples, because the relationships were real. He was building real relationships with them. There is simply something powerful about the table. And Luke, out of all the gospel writers, would probably agree with me the most, because out of his 24 chapters, there are 10 distinct stories of Jesus around the table. We actually see this practice imitated by his earliest disciples, because while Jesus was eating and while he was being present in the moment, he was simultaneously teaching. In Luke 4, Jesus is teaching his disciples about who belongs around his table. Around the table of tax collectors and sinners, Jesus sits down, despite the haters, and he reminds them that they too belong in his kingdom. In Luke 11, Jesus is watching as people are vying for the most powerful seat around the table. So Jesus, in true Jesus fashion, just tells a parable, the parable of the wedding feast. And it builds up to this point where Jesus says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In Luke 22, Jesus is teaching his disciples about living from a posture of gratitude and service. Around the table of his last supper, he takes the bread, he gives thanks, and he breaks it. He gives it to his disciples, and he says, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Discipleship is rooted in relationship. And one of the ways that Jesus built those relationships were around the table. And so as disciples at NCC who study the words of Jesus, who imitate the ways of Jesus and partners in his mission, why not imitate the way that Jesus built these relationships around the table? 
And if you're like me and you can't cook beyond mini waffles, well, here's a fun fact. Jesus wasn't known for his culinary prowess either. In fact, the only meals that I can recall Jesus actually preparing was supernaturally turning water into wine and multiplying bread and fish for the masses. But here's the thing. Every time Jesus showed up to the table, him and his disciples, they were fully present and they were fully themselves. So I ask you, what tables shaped you as disciples of Jesus? And when you show up to those tables, how were you showing up? Were you showing up like Jesus? Are you still showing up like Jesus? Building relationships, being fully present and fully yourself, because that's all it takes. And the most important question, um, who trying to grab food after this? Discipleship is matured by a process. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go make disciples. Go in Greek is porionthensis. It translates into going. The context of go here is not an imperative, but actually a participial. So it's not something we do someday, but it's something that we're doing in present time. Jesus' great commission is an action that assumes his disciples will be on the move. Go. Make. Jesus said, go make disciples, not go find them. We are a culture that thrives on immediate gratification. So of course, we would apply this to discipleship as well. This is how we hire people. We prefer that they would come to us with all the bells and whistles ready to go, right? We want people to show up with their lives perfect in every way, no assembly required. Can you imagine if the day that my kids were born, I looked at them and I said, hey buddy, I'm so glad that you're already walking on your own and feeding yourself and totally potty trained. That doesn't happen. And if you know, if you haven't had kids yet and that's what you're banking on, good luck. For a child to assimilate into the world appropriately, you have to invest in the maturing process. Making disciples demands intentionality, commitment, and perseverance. It requires investment in the messiness of other people's lives. At times, instead of feeling like you're moving forward, it feels more like you're kind of doing a spastic waltz all over this stage. I know I'm so talented. You're welcome for that. But Jesus still said, go make disciples. We are called to actively make disciples, not converts. The call to discipleship is a rabbinical, come, follow me. Jesus invited his disciples to first come and see, then come and follow, and then come and take on the entirety of their lives, surrendering it all to him. A disciple commits their whole lives to become like their rabbi. It's a life's journey of daily obedience that leads to transformation. Jesus goes on to say, 
make disciples of all the nations. Nations is translated from the word ethne, which broadly is used to describe Gentiles or a foreign tribe. So basically what Jesus is saying is making disciples, um, part of that calling is that we don't look or act or sound the same. Jesus is calling for proximity in diversity. Though some of us have fully stepped into the call of the disciple, more of us have chosen not to move at all. We've allowed our insecurities to remove us from living out the call of the disciple because we, don't have, we have too many doubts, we have some questions, we don't know all of the entirety of scripture, and you know, if I'm blunt, we doubt that God can use us. Matthew's lead up verse in uh, 17 reads, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Welcome to the Doubters Club. Jesus didn't disqualify the doubter though. He didn't say, okay, uh, just the ones that are sure and ready. Instead, he invited his doubting disciples into the same calling, just as they were. In their doubt, they were still commissioned. In our doubt, yours and mine, we are still commissioned. Doubting is not the problem. Doubting is a part of the going and the making of disciples. Because discipleship is not a destination. It's not a set of boxes to check off. It's not a series of classes to complete. And it's not a cookie cutter process. The process of discipleship is unique to each and every one of us. There's no one size fits all approach to discipleship. And discipleship is not linear. In fact, when you think about the moments that shaped you and transformed you, they probably don't fit easily into some linear sequencing. John Ortberg says that disciples are handcrafted, not mass-produced. It's about the journey, not the destination. Discipleship is matured by a process. Discipleship is marked by integration. When my son Bert was born, I made a decision. I wanted to get healthy. And healthy for me at that point in my life started with not eating anything after dinner, trying to limit dinner to six o'clock, and then going for a walk after I ate. That started me on my journey of health. I grew from there in my knowledge and application of what it meant to be healthy. Then, I was diagnosed with an incurable form, only manageable, of cancer. That sent me on an entirely different level of studying what it meant to be healthy. What I thought about the power of food changed exponentially. But just as important, my application of health began to integrate all the dimensions of my life. It began to influence my financial decisions. It began to influence my vocational decisions. It began to influence my mental health decisions. It began to bleed into every other part of my life. And choosing health in an integrated way was synonymous for me with choosing life. 
I learned to choose life and find pleasure in that instead of choosing pleasure and trying to attain life or feel alive. That meant I didn't eat for pleasure first. I ate for life first and found pleasure in that. That meant that I didn't spend my money for pleasure first. I spent it for life and found pleasure in that. And what it meant to be healthy to me integrated itself through all of me in every way. In Colossians 3.17, Paul says this, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Discipleship is marked by integration. Integration means that Jesus doesn't want to be the first in a list of priorities. Rather, he desires to be central to every priority in your life. The interplay of your faith and every part of your life is so critical to the health of your experience with the one who breathed the breath of life into your existence, into the very lungs that sustain your life and bring purpose to your living, to your loving, to your spending money and to your spending time, to your going to school and to your going to work, to your parenting and to your loving your parents, to your speaking, your neighboring, your self-talk, your eating, your life, whatever you do. And it's not just about putting Jesus' name on something and calling it a day. I think, in fact, that probably culture would say that one of the biggest problems it has with the church today is that oftentimes we take our opinions and we slap Jesus' name on it and call it faith. Integration starts at the center and works it, it works its way out. It doesn't start with you taking your opinion and slapping Jesus on top of it. Integration is letting Jesus be as original with others as he was with you. It's being honest with your doubts and your fears and your insecurities and being okay with that. In fact, a major part of integration that is a willingness, and I think this is something that we miss, a willingness to be honest with our questions. And that doesn't happen without a willingness to go there. You see, I'd rather have questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned. Integration requires us to go there. It requires a raw internal honesty with yourself before you can ever get to the application of what integration really means. That being said, if I can encourage you with anything, I want to let you know you were made for this. In fact, I believe that often the incongruity that we feel in our soul is often and only reconciled by the integration of Jesus into every part of who you are, what you do, what you say, what you think, your entirety of existence. You see, the God who is in all things, above all things, sustain all things, filling all things, he made you to experience him by fully integrating him into your life from thought to word 
to deed, discipleship is about integrating the words of Jesus and the ways of Jesus and the mission of Jesus where I work, where I play, where I live. The invitation today is to be a disciple and to be a disciple maker. Don't wait to be a disciple maker until you have the discipleship thing down as well. Because often the way that you grow as a disciple is by becoming a disciple maker. When I chose health, little did I know where it would take me, what it would teach me, how it would humble me, and how it would integrate my life in such a powerful and dynamic way. Choose discipleship and watch what happens. Welcome to the journey. Discipleship is marked by integration. Discipleship is measured by multiplication. In 2 Timothy 2.2, the Apostle Paul writes, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Paul was charging Timothy to pass on the ways and the teachings of Jesus to those who would pass them on to others. This was one of the main strategies that Jesus used to build disciples and to build his church. This verse brings images of an understudy learning the lines of a star in a play. It also brings images of an apprentice in an industry or a trade developing skills to do the work. It brings images of a mentee embodying the qualities of his or her mentor. I think about my first collegiate coaching job, and I think about the head coach that made an investment in myself and so many others. His lineage is full of men and women who love and are living passionately for Jesus. I remember him sharing with me that he used to pray, God, you give me the talent, and I will give you the glory. While that prayer remained the same for years, he never achieved that personal success that he was hoping for. But I remember him saying one day that of the thousands of athletes that he coached and the tons of coaches that he mentored, that they were the talent. God gave him the talent and he gave God the glory. He gave God the glory by a surrendered life and an obedient life. I am convinced, I am convinced that it's by his surrendering and his obedience to God that God multiplied disciples before his very eyes. Discipleship is measured by multiplication. Multiplication is a product of our surrender and our obedience. We also see this in the lives of Barnabas and Paul and Timothy and Titus. We see the example lived out in the lives of Aquila and Priscilla with Apollos, John the Apostle with Polycarp, family. Hopefully this is something that we see in each one of our lives. That as we invest in others, as we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that the people in our lives not only become disciples, but they become disciple makers. Jesus just doesn't call us out of something. He just doesn't save us from something, but he calls us to make disciples. Discipleship is measured by multiplication. 
Multiplication is a product of our surrender. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What we are saying is that when we give Christ our lives, when we surrender to him, we're giving him permission to live in and through us. Jesus goes on to say to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their lives will find it. Surrender produces direction. Surrender by no means is easy. What it means is that we're inviting Jesus to lead every area of our life. What this allows us to do is to live vulnerable and transparent lives, not having to manufacture direction, but taking direction from Lord Jesus Christ. As we follow Jesus, this clarity, this direction in our life, what it does, it allows our lives to become that much more attractive to those around us. It, as we receive this direction, what it allows us to do is to lead people to Jesus Christ. What it allows us to do is to lead people to the foot of the cross. Discipleship is measured by multiplication. Multiplication is also a product of our obedience. John 14, 23, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Our obedience family, it provides connection. It's up to us to make that decision to be obedient and follow Christ. Jesus loves each one of us right where we are. When we're obedient to Jesus, what we're saying and what we're communicating is that our love for Jesus is central. What we're saying is that our love for Jesus is important to us. What we're saying is that, Jesus, we want to be connected with you. We want to be connected with your words. We want to align ourselves to your ways. Lord, we want to align ourselves to your mission and go and make disciples. Discipleship is measured by multiplication. Multiplication is a product of our surrender and our obedience. It allows us to receive the love of Christ. It allows us to give the love of Christ to others. As we are poured into, it allows us to pour out. Discipleship is fueled by the Holy Spirit. Discipleship is rooted in relationship. Discipleship is matured by a process. Discipleship is marked by integration. Discipleship is measured by multiplication. Each of these ways, they give us the how, but we're never to forget that the world around us will know that we're Jesus' disciples by the way that we love each other. We're able to love each other because Christ first loved us. And while we were yet sinners, while we missed the mark, Jesus died for us. Whether you're here in the house or whether you're at the house at home or wherever you may be today, there's an invitation for each one of us. 
an invitation for us to step into discipleship and to follow after Jesus, maybe for the first time. If you're at home, you can simply click ncc.re slash follow Jesus, or you can click that live prayer button and someone will love to pray with you. Wherever else you might be, you can say a simple prayer to yourself. Jesus, I choose to follow you. Come into my life. The word teaches us that the wages of sin or missing the mark is death, but, he, but we have eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. <laughs> the word teaches us it's by faith through grace that we've been saved, not of ourselves, so that no one can brag. All of us fall short of God's glory. All of us miss the mark at some point in our life. And so that call for us today may be walking into discipleship for the first time, saying that we want to follow after Jesus. For others of us today, it might be that we have been following Jesus, but we just haven't been intentional about making disciples. That might be the call for you today. No matter how old you are, you might be a, a middle schooler or a high schooler headed back to school. You can be a disciple maker. You might be a little further along in your journey. You can be a disciple maker. You might have made a mistake last night that you're so ashamed of. The word of God teaches us that, that God is faithful and just and he's ready to forgive us of all unrighteousness. All we have to do is cast those cares upon him and ask for that forgiveness that he so freely gives. You can be a disciple maker. Family, as we continue in our time of worship, as we sing this next song, which one is it for you today? Is it becoming a disciple for the first time? Maybe it's becoming a better disciple. Maybe it's becoming a disciple maker for the first time and saying, God, I'm going to commit to doing this. Know that as we believe in our heart and as we confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead, each one of us will be saved. God, our prayer today is that the confession of our heart, Lord, be that we would become better disciples and disciple makers for you. God, we love you. God, we thank you. God, we praise you in Jesus' name.